So I feel like, you know, an accomplishment that maybe doesn't get talked about quite enough is the JMU women's basketball team. There are 12 other Division One programs in the state, and JMU has bragging rights over every single one of them. Uh, given, given that there's a couple ACC teams, some A10 teams in the state, that that's pretty pretty incredible to uh, have that going on right now. If you're if you're a mid major program in Virginia, yeah, I'd say so. I think that's you know, it's not easy to do. It's also not easy to get all these teams scheduled, you know, year to year, and mm-hmm. they've done a pretty good job of that. And you know, I guess JMU's the best team in the state women's basketball wise. Yeah, and I guess you know. <laughs> The one thing that maybe helps you when you're doing that is when you beat Virginia Tech, then they don't want to schedule you again too qu- soon. Uh, you know, similar for, for UVA. I mean, they were playing UVA fairly regularly until uh, the last couple of years. But, um, but with that said, they were almost in this situation for an extended period of time. From for a lot of 2019, 2020, the only thing that was keeping them from having the ultimate bragging rights in the state of Virginia was going down to Hampton of all places and losing with one of the best teams that JMU's had in a long time a team that went 17 and one in the CAA. Now this week, JMU's no longer in the CAA Hampton's in the CAA and the Dukes are going back down to Hampton. Can they keep this um, accomplishment? It's not really a streak because there's been some games in between, but um, can they keep this accomplishment going where they are, owning the state of Virginia in women's basketball. Yeah, I think so. I think they played well this year, and yeah, I think they just translate game in, game out. I mean, they squeak some games out, and they find ways to win, and I think they'll they'll find one. Yeah, they've won close ones against VCU. They'd had a, they've had a pretty lengthy streak going against VCU, although they haven't played recently. The win, you know, a close win at home against Liberty is the thing that made this happen because they lost to Liberty last year. And now after that, that's where they got the uh, – Owning, owning the most recent game against every team in the state. Um, so they've been playing a lot of in-state opponents here recently. They they played at William & Mary last week and looked pretty good. Um, I mean, I think the uh, final score, 15-point victory, wasn't even really indicative of how much they controlled that game. Um, you know, I know you've talked to several players over the course of the season so far. You've talked to Sean O'Regan. You've been, you've been paying attention to women's basketball. Just how good do you think they are right now, and are they are they kind of heading in the right direction, getting getting near conference play later this month? Yeah, I think they are. One, they're getting you know they have a full roster now, which I don't think they had, or they're close. They're closer. A full roster, you know, <laughs> it'll be there soon sooner than later. Uh, but I mean, they played number thirteen North Carolina pretty close. Had a chance to basically win it. I mean, they played three quarters really well. The fourth quarter, you know. North Carolina pulled away and just made, made you know, showed why they're one of the top teams in the ACC. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is a team that has a shot to, to make a lot of noise um, in conference play and especially in the tournament in March. Yeah, North Carolina, they're ranked in the top ten now, I think yeah. number seven. So um, even after playing a fairly close game at JMU, it wasn't like they fell off the table similar to the on – the, on the men's side. No, they, they've know. been playing well. Yeah. Um, when you've seen them play on the women's side – is there anything that stands out to you in particular about why they're playing better this year than they were last year with a lot of the same pieces in place? Yeah, I think it's because, you know, it's no longer relying on Kiki Jefferson to score every single point in the game. I mm-hmm. mean, she can do that, but also, I mean, a couple of games ago, she 
had less than 10 points, and that's something that you look at that probably last year or the year before. They probably don't win the game, but this time around, other people step up and then score points. You know, Peyton McDaniel's healthy again and playing. She's not even 100%, but yet still playing really well. Yeah, and it, um, you're not even getting less Kiki Jefferson when you say like you're not relying on her because she's still averaging 20 points in the yeah. game <laughs> this year. But you're, you're seeing um, – you know, Peyton McDaniel, I think she's averaged on like 12, but in her recent games, it's been, it's been like 20. <laughs> 17, 15, 17. Yeah. Um, she's been putting up big numbers. Um, and they're going to get another scoring piece here soon. Kobe King Hawea, the transfer from Texas. I think they expect to be a huge part of the offense. Uh, may or may not play um, this weekend against uh, Saturday against Hampton. Depends on how quickly the grades are posted, but she should be available very soon which will, you know, just add a, another dynamic to the offense on the perimeter. Well, I mean, she can kind of go inside and out, but, um, you know, it's going to add another another scoring option to uh, kind of really take things to the next level, I would think. Yeah, I mean, she was a junior college All-American, you know, back-to-back years. Number one Juco recruit coming out of um, community college last year, went to Texas, got hurt. Um, but, yeah, I think she's she just helps make this team more dynamic, right? You, you've got Kiki Jefferson and Peyton McDaniel that can score, and they know that. But now you add a third scorer on the court, and it, it makes it a lot harder for the teams to defend. Yeah, and I wrote about this in a notebook the other day, but you, what you then see is somebody like Jamia Hazel, who has been a scoring guard. Like, you know, she's been that kind of point guard who likes to go to the – likes to go to the rim, likes to put the ball up, uh, likes to pull up and shoot. Um She's kind of, you know, accepted a role where she's doing a little bit of everything. She's a little bit more of a distributor. Um, she's a kind of a change of pace offensively because she is one of those ones that goes to the basket hard. But um, it's interesting to see her kind of go from somebody who I think a couple of years ago, even Sean O'Regan probably would have guessed that by her junior year, she'd be scoring, you know, 12 to 15 points a game. And that's not really what they're asking her to do now, even though she's still pretty huge part of um of the rotation yeah she she gets minutes she just has to do different things she she moves the ball around a little bit i mean she had to play the point for a little while when they were missing caroline germain but i think you know she's gonna get back to a, a better role probably once they get their full complement of, of, of players on the court yeah and then um you know talk about the full complement players we talked about uh, kobe coming in soon sounds like at some point um you know maybe in the next week or two they're going to get anna goodman back who They've been so good, solid in the post that you kind of forget that she was the starting center last year, and they are missing her too, and that just adds another piece of depth. You know, play her, uh, split the minutes with uh, with Susha Kozlova. Um, they really should have a ton of depth going into conference play, assuming nobody else ends up getting hurt or lost or anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, everyone's played basically decent number of minutes. I mean, you've got freshmen jumping in and playing as well. So I think, you know, it'll it'll pay off in the long run. But also in the short term, it's, it's working really well. Yeah. I feel like um probably don't know as much about Sunbelt women's basketball as maybe like we've dove into it on the men's side. And we definitely knew what we were getting into with football this season and everything. Um, it'll probably be a fairly competitive conference. ODU's looking pretty solid so far. Troy's always good. I don't see any reason why JMU shouldn't be thinking about winning this conference and possibly getting back to the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, I think they look at it as a winnable league. I mean, I think the way that they're playing right now, they they feel comfortable, and they're not even playing with their full roster, as we mentioned. So I think 
once they get rolling and, and get into the Sun Belt play, which comes up in a couple weeks, you know, opening with Coastal Carolina at home, then it'll, I think they'll start to get better understanding once they start playing more and more teams. But, you know, Neil Harrow, a guy on the staff who's seen a lot of these Sun Belt schools already, so I think he may have, you know, an idea of how they can fare. Yeah, and I mean, last time I talked to him, I mean, he was, I think, feeling cautiously optimistic about, you know, where they fit in, but um, definitely thinks that they should be competitive um, and near the top of the of the conference. Maybe he was just kind of holding back on how confident he wanted to sound, but um, yeah, I think they're definitely looking looking forward to jumping into conference play and making a run at that. Uh, on the men's side, they get back into action on Sunday at home against LIU. Um, kind of halfway a rematch of Jimmy's last NCAA tournament victory uh, in 2013 when they, in the play-in round, or the, the first four or whatever you want to call it, they beat uh, LIU Brooklyn, which then a couple of campuses wound up merging their athletic department in the years since. So it's kind of um, it's the same school. It's kind of a throwback to that, yeah. Um, a, little bit, a little bit different. Different mascot. Um different logo everything but jamie should roll in that game just i mean looking at the rosters and the results and everything so far but it is an interesting one to see uh, rod strickland come into town to face his son's team a you know longtime washington nba player kind of returning to the area so that should be an interesting uh thing for jamie fans to come out and see especially if they're you know happen to be a long time you know wizards slash bullets fans that uh probably be fun to come see uh, rod strickland on the sideline yeah i mean his son is apparently close to coming back could come back for that game maybe not then shortly after but i mean then jame you well the men's team will then be close to being back to fully healthy too yeah well when we're heading over to the uh aubc here before too long so uh after we get done recording this so we can find out a little bit more about probably if uh terrell strickland will be ready to play but you know it's another it's another team that is kind of continuing to add the pieces and get close to fully healthy um, right as conference season is on the horizon. Both the men and women have a game or two after this week before they really get into uh, Sunbelt play. But it's getting close enough that we can really kind of start talking about, um, you know, what's going to happen when the conference season begins. It is. I mean, we have a better understanding of what both teams look like now, and you can look around the, the conference on both sides and see what other teams have done. But, you know, college basketball is a funny game, and anyone can win on any night, and conference play will kind of bring that out for sure. Yeah, and if you look at the Sun Belt on the men's side, the new additions to the league have really helped raise the top yeah. of the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt's still, frankly, pretty bad at the bottom. I mean, Louisiana Monroe is just not a good team, and like they're going to drag everybody's strength of schedule down. And you know, some others, Arkansas State and you know, Georgia Southern, are not looking great. But you look at the addition of four new teams. ODU's doing all right, but JMU, Marshall, Southern Miss are all top 100 net right now. All you know, relatively high for the Sun Belt and Ken Palm and other metrics. It seems like, um, you know, those additions definitely have paid off in some other sports here so far this fall. Now as we're getting to the winter, it seems like uh, those are big uh, basketball additions for the Sun Belt. Yeah, they were. I mean, we'll see how the metrics shape out kind of like January, February time frame. There's more games, and you can kind mm. of get a better understanding of, of where everyone falls. But, yeah, I think, you know, 
the top four teams in the Sun Belt were like 30-something and nine, I think, or something like that. So, you know, pretty good record. Yeah, and, you know, the Sun Belt's not in a position to be talking about a second bid or anything at this point, even though, you know, JMU, Southern Miss rank fairly high in the net. That's going to come down probably once they start playing more conference games and all the Power Five and Big East teams and stuff start playing each other and building their own strengths of schedules and stuff. But what I think maybe they can hope for and expect this year is that if one of these teams that we're talking about that's in the top four, that's a kind of you know fringe top 100 team, uh, can continue to be up there and they win the tournament, then you're talking about a team that's maybe a 12 or a 13 seed going into the NCAA tournament as opposed to a 15 or 16, and a team that maybe has a legitimate shot at winning a game getting you another unit, bringing more money in, bringing more exposure, getting everything talked about. And that's something you can kind of build off of in the seasons to come if uh, if you're trying to turn Sunbelt basketball around, which has not been great for a handful of years now. Yeah, there's 12-5 matchups in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you if you can get yourself into those, there's, I feel like every year there's at least one 12 seed that like, upsets. So I feel like you know you get yourself maybe one of those four 12 seeds and see what happens. But, yeah, I definitely think that'll help. You know, you obviously want to avoid – a conference champion playing in the first four, which happens if you're a 16 seed, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and then you, you want to avoid if you're if you're not a 16 and you're in a 15 seed and you end up playing, you know, one of the best teams in the country. Then it's kind of not fair. So you know, you want to find that middle ground. Yeah, I mean, you almost want rather be a 16 and get into the play-in game and have oh, a yeah. cha- have a chance to get that uh, <laughs> to get a win. that extra <laughs> extra um, yeah unit paid into the conference because. It pays the same, whether it's a uh, first four game or a uh, first round. round of 64 game. Um, but, yeah, the 15 is kind of the dreaded seed almost. Like, they do not win in the first round very often. And, if ever. <laughs> and, uh, a couple of times in the history of the tournament. Um, and, you know, you're just you're not going to advance. You're not going to really uh, make much of a dent. Um, so, yeah, if they can continue to play well and get into that, you know, Whoever ends up being the Sun Belt champion, if they can get to that, you know, twelve to thirteen seed range, that would be a pretty significant step in the right direction for for Sun Belt basketball in year one of what I, I think everybody kind of considers the new Sun Belt. Um, yeah, we can move away from hoops a little bit because, uh, frankly, not necessarily the most exciting week of action with the exams <laughs> and everything coming up, but uh, are happening this week. But it's continued to be a busy season for football off the field um, as JMU continues to work the transfer portal, uh, doing a lot with high school recruits, getting commitments on both sides of that um, recruiting recruiting uh, aspect there. Noah's been completely on top of it, so just start filling us in on everything that's happened over the last week when it comes to JMU football recruiting. A week, that's a long time. A lot of things go on, but yeah, they've offered a lot of guys. I mean, over 35 players now have received offers. Um, in the last, what, today is Thursday, so in the last five days, they've gotten four transfers and a high school commitment. So, I mean, the, the total class is up to 21 between Portal and high school. Um, I mean, the transfers are, are looking decently well. I mean, you, there's a punter, receiver, running back, and a defensive back. So, I mean, that looks well, and then they picked up another uh, high school wide receiver. So, other than that, you know, it's been a busy time for Kurt Signetti and, you know, as, as someone who has talked to him recently, it seems like he's not done recruiting. Yeah. Well, tell us about the commitments that they've gotten. You mentioned high school wide receiver. Uh, the second 
um, who looks like a pretty talented second time this uh, recruiting cycle that they've gotten a what looks like a pretty talented receiver from Maryland from the high school ranks. Yeah, Max Moss. Um, you know, he's six foot one receiver. You know, from Archbishop Spalding, he had seventy two catches, I think, for over fourteen hundred yards and twenty one touchdowns this year. I'm um, in his senior year. You know, he joins Ibrahim uh, Barry, who, funny enough, they grew up together, played with each other for a while. So they're the two guys from Maryland, both tall receivers. Um, both have a mindset of coming in and playing next year, which I think, you know, some freshmen don't have that confidence, but they don't lack confidence. Um, so, yeah, that's the high school commit they picked up last yesterday. Then they added O'Marion Dollison, who, from South Florida, played with Jordan McLeod, who Jamie picked up earlier this offseason on the quarterback. And, you know, he had his most productive college season that year. Um, scoring his lone touchdown over 200 yards, you know, I think 18 receptions with McLeod. So good there. And then a couple of days before, they picked up Ryan Hansen, a punter from Arkansas State, one of the best punters in the conference. Um, then they got Tyson Lawton, a running back from Stony Brook. And then they picked up uh, Trayvon um, Trayvon Jones from Elon, defensive back. I was for his last name. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so – not surprising they've gone um, for a couple of receivers, um, you know, both high school and uh, portal. I would think they're probably still looking for another receiver to um, in the portal, but starting to kind of fill that need there. Yep. Um, you mentioned too, also the special teams guys, you know, Ryan Hansen, they've had uh, another kicker in for a visit. Yep. Um, seems like they're kind of filling those spots uh, through the portal. Uh, you even mentioned that uh, you know Jones, the defensive back from um, from Elon, looks like a potential uh, return man, which is another area where uh, you know they weren't necessarily completely uh, completely solid in the return game this year. Uh, you know, mixing a bunch of different guys in on kickoff returns and stuff like that. Um, so maybe we'll see him uh, get some action there too. Yeah, I mean, he did kickoff and punt returns this year at Elon, but also to kind of go on that point. A guy that they were missing that could do returns, Solomon Van Horse will be back next year, most likely. Mm-hmm. So you know that'll that'll help him in that in that category. But yeah, I mean Ryan Hansen, punter from Arkansas State. You know yeah. he's the third team selection last season, and then you know he punted the ball really well this year. Um, they did bring in Texas State's kicker on a visit. Um, I think that'd be a big time pickup if they can get him. Uh, but you know, other than that, you know they've been they've been busy, and I don't think they're done. I mean, yeah. defensively, they still have some things to clean up, I think, on the D-line and other things, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, defensively, um, I don't know if it's, like, official, official yet, but um, it does seem like there's probably going to be a little bit of shake-up on the staff, uh, losing cornerbacks coach. Uh, I can just tell us what you know there. I don't think if anything's been officially confirmed, but it seems like probably going to be in the market for – another defensive backs coach. Yeah, Matt Burkett, the cornerbacks coach at JMU, is rumored to be headed to South Florida um, on their new coaching staff there. Um, it hasn't been announced yet, but more than likely he's headed that way um, down to Florida, which has been good for JMU recruiting-wise lately. So they lose one to Florida after gaining so much stuff for the past couple of years from that state. So, I mean, Kurt Signetti will be in the market to hire a new DB's coach. Other than that, the coaching staff seems solid. There hasn't really been any other rumors of anyone leaving. I mean, there's a few yeah. guys you could kind of look at and be like, oh, they're up and coming in the, in the you know, in college football. But at this point in the cycle, there's really not a lot of, you know, fancy openings left. Yeah, it might be interesting to see, though, like just keep an eye on USF. Just, in fact, they're kind of loading up with people with uh, 
connections to this area. Yeah. Um, not that there's a whole lot of talent to recruit um, out of the Shenandoah Valley, but it is kind of interesting to see the connections um, from JMU and, uh, you know, this region with um, – with, uh, Yeah, know. the quarterback's coach um, they yeah. got from Iowa State is a native of Waynesboro. So, yeah. That. Yeah, so – be interesting to see if they kind of try to make a dent in uh, in Virginia or not here in, in the years to come. <clears throat> it, talked a lot about, you know, portal stuff, recruiting. Yeah. Um, anybody else that you think is just like kind of, you know, somebody that to watch that is probably, you know, close to making a decision that has JMU in the mix right now? Yeah, I mean, I would like to say that I called Maxwell Moss's commitment. I'll just, you know, yes. claim that. But, you know, um, I don't know. I would have, you know, all of a the guys keep my eye on, and then turned out he, he ended up committing. Um, you know, defensive line is probably the next spot we'll kind of start seeing guys um, commit, is my guess, because um, that's just a spot where they're going to be thin, um, losing guy like – you know, Jamari Edwards, who had probably his best year of college football this year. I mean, he's, he's out of eligibility. Um, so I think they'll at least get one or two guys in the D-line. Thomas Gore is a guy that I know Signetti really liked when JMU had to play against Georgia State, and he's in the portal with the JMU offer. So, I mean, wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe show interest there. Um, but we'll see. I haven't seen a whole lot of D-line guys really make visits yet. And Taylor Thompson, tight end from Charlotte, was on campus. His, his dad really seemed to like the visit a lot um, on social media. And so... I think there's a few guys that are, you know, close to committing, and I think that JMU, you know, dead period starts on Monday, so they, they're running out of time to get guys on campus. This weekend will be the last weekend. They can get guys on campus before, you know, really before enrollment starts in January. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing I've noticed um, here in the last few days when it comes to high school recruiting is the number of underclassmen who are now reporting their offers from JMU, yeah. which is not terribly surprising, but I do think it's kind of interesting to see a trend where that's happening now here in the days before signing day, where I can remember a time where it seemed like, okay, everybody got to signing day. They were like going all in on the, you know, the, that year's class. And then the day after signing day is when you started seeing like all these, you know, <laughs> 2024s and yeah. 2025s getting a bunch of offers and um, a bunch of attention from from the programs. So I do find it kind of interesting that JMU has offered a whole lot of guys, a whole lot of guys from um, you know Virginia DMV area yeah. um, in the 24, 25 classes. Um, maybe even you know swinging uh, you know above their weight class a little bit. I mean, if you look at where these guys are ranked <laughs> and stuff and everything, and you know hoping. Hoping that getting in early on some of these guys maybe pays off down the line. Yeah, I mean, you know, we saw them get in early with a guy like Jarvis Green, and his recruitment took off, goes to Clemson. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they've gotten in on a bunch of guys, a bunch of skilled guys from Northern Virginia, a um, couple of quarterbacks, one from Richmond. You know, you can kind of see when they offer one guy, they're offering a few guys from the same school, and they all announce it kind of mm-hmm. around the same time they're getting offers. Um you know, Maxwell Moss, you know, they just picked up his commitment, but they went and offered his quarterback, who thinks a class of 2025 guy, but he's 6'5". Yeah. I mean, yeah. he might be a guy that won't be, you know, a Sunbelt caliber player that when he's ready to sign, but, you know, at least they're getting in on him and have a teammate at JMU kind of helps. And 
I think that, you know, we'll see what happens, but it's definitely something to, you know, keep an eye on. And, and they're definitely getting started earlier with the 25s for sure. I mean, 24s, we knew they'd be looking at them, but 25s and 26s, they've offered a few guys who just finished their freshman season. So, yeah. And I think that's like, that seems to be sort of a change in philosophy for JMU. I don't remember them offering a lot of guys who were, yeah, freshmen, sophomore in high school. Not that they weren't recruiting those guys, but the offers seem to be coming <laughs> earlier for, for certain people anyway. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Savion Heider, who is at Louisa, he, they offered him during his freshman season. I mean, he's got offers from, you know, Maryland is one. I think UVA is in on him. So, I mean, that's the guy that's going to be highly recruited by the time his senior season rolls around. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that just comes off the top of my head from Louisa. Um, you know, they had a guy named DeCruz Carter from Fordham, a wide receiver on campus last weekend. His brother, a freshman at Louisa, was on campus with him and got an offer at the same time. So, yeah. you know, I think it's going to be things like that where they kind of – put connections together of, you know, they're recruiting one, may as well recruit the other and see what happens. Yeah, that would be an interesting thing to see. It seems, um, you know, DeCuse Carter, I saw he was visiting, I think, Tulane this weekend. Yes. Um, but he seems like, you know, a guy we hadn't mentioned yet who is another one of those portal guys. It seems like a strong possibility for JMU mm-hmm. uh, with the local connections and stuff. And we talk about, you know, what – what constitutes local recruiting for JMU right now? There not being a lot of Division One players, just like in the uh, Shenandoah Valley area at this point, yeah, um, right now. So to see them going pretty hard after guys from Louisa um, down in Roanoke area, they put some offers out. Of Lord Botot, Salem, uh, Salem's been good to them uh, in recent years with uh, Chauncey Logan coming in and starting right away. Um, yeah, it is you know definitely notable to see them hitting those areas heavily and hitting those areas early with a lot of these kids. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, they really look at Virginia as kind of the local end, but you know, Signetti's also mentioned that Maryland is something they treat like mm-hmm. Virginia. I mean, Maryland has really paid off. If you look at guys that have come to JMU and played well, I mean, recently you got eyes Gugu from Maryland, Percy J. Obese from Maryland, you know, they've picked up two wide receivers from Maryland so far. So, Obviously, that's a state they want to keep yeah. close to home, and I think you know the, 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 the amount of effort they put into it, especially offering some guys right now who are, who are underclassmen in the shows. Yeah, and also if you look at Maryland, obviously they're going to recruit to Washington, D.C. area heavily, and everybody does. But one thing you also kind of notice when you look at um, – this is not just JMU. Like, um, you can look at the rosters of a variety of sports at JMU, at Bridgewater, EMU. Kids from – Western Mayor, like Frederick, Hagerstown, those areas, they like to just come right down I eighty one. Oh, it's not far JMU. at all. Yeah, it's an easy drive. It's you know, it's um, you know, relatively close, but also you're getting a little bit away from home. But you know, your family's coming to watch you play, and you know, you talk about Percy. Uh, you know, Nick Kidwell comes from that area. They've done well there, and you know, I think it's interesting to see that like at a different level, Bridgewater also does really well recruiting that region in football. So. Probably something to kind of look at, you know, just um, that being almost like a local area for them because it's just, you know, an hour and a half, two hours up I-81 and, um, you know, another area that they can kind of hit on that maybe gets overlooked a little bit as compared to all the um, programs right in and around D.C. and Baltimore. Yeah, I think if you're honestly like four or five hours within driving distance, I feel like JMU and all sports really target, you know, those areas and they, they find success. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if you find success one place, you should just keep going back until it, until it you know dries up. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, unless you know of anything else happening in the transfer portal right at this moment, we can probably just go ahead and wrap this one up. We uh, we covered a lot of stuff, and uh, I'm sure probably as soon as we <laughs> stop recording, there'll be something else to talk about. But one thousand percent, yeah. In unless Noah's got anything else to add, no, we're good for now. But you know, we'll have a you know someone will text me in like four hours and be like, yeah, and then I'll then I'll have some new information. But for right now, we're good. All right. Well, in that case, then. Uh, you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast, the uh, JMU Sports podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. Once again, with Noah Fleischman, uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>